Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, again, so good to be with you guys. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, that passage we just read. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be at today. Um, If you are here for the first time, uh, once again, welcome. If you're just getting back into Knoxville for the semester, welcome back. Uh, Let me just briefly catch you up, if that's you, on where we have been uh, this year, where we've really been the past couple weeks since we've been back at our Sunday Gathering. So we began the new year by kicking off a new teaching series that we've called Formation, which is a series really all about how our habits help us over time to become more like Jesus. So what we do each year at the beginning of the calendar year is that we spend a month or two just working through one particular habit that can help us do just that, that can help us become more like Jesus. And this year, the habit that we're focusing on is the habit of rest. And in week one of the series, two weeks ago, we talked about how true rest, the type of rest that we see Jesus and the biblical authors talking about, true rest is a little bit more involved than just taking a day off every once in a while. It means a little bit more than that. It's actually about structuring our entire lives the way that Jesus structured his life. It involves modeling our day-to-day rhythms after his day-to-day rhythms as much as possible. And then what we said last Sunday, so one week ago, we discussed at length what it would look like to, to basically unhurry our lives. We said that hurry is often one of the biggest threats to our life with Jesus. And so we began talking about what it would look like to not constantly be in a hurry all of the time to the point that we miss really important stuff coming our way. That's what we talked about last Sunday. But admittedly, and and at least based on a lot of the conversations that I've had with you guys over the past week, uh, admittedly, a lot of us probably heard that about unhurrying our lives and, and said, yeah, I just don't know if that's possible for me right now. Some of us are like, I, I, I just don't see, I would love to not be hurried all of the time, but I just don't know if I can get there right now. The season I'm in, the, the phase of life that I'm in, I just don't see any realistic way that I could become unhurried. It just doesn't seem like anything can be cut or trimmed back in our day-to-day rhythms. Maybe for you, it feels like all of your commitments are job-related or family-related or church community-related, all of these sort of non-negotiable things. And so it just doesn't feel like any of it is, any of it is cuttable from our life. And let me just say right off the bat, if that's you, I feel you on that. Most of you guys know we have two small kids, and so our life is full right now. And that's the most positive way to say it. Our life is full right now. So I get it if you feel that way as we talk about all of this. So let me just try to start here this morning. 
Let me, let me try to just start with some practical help for all of us. What if I told you that right now I could show us all how to do one simple thing that would give us back an additional four hours into every day? Would you believe me? If I told you that we could do one very simple thing and you would have four hours of your day added back into your schedule, that seems like it would be preferable, right? That seems like it would be ideal. It seems like we'd be a lot more successful in our efforts to rest and spend time with Jesus if we could have four hours back into our day every day. And then what if I told you that this one thing you can do, not only is it simple, it takes about two seconds for you to do and you will have four hours of your life added back into your day every single day. Wouldn't that be good news for most of us? Just imagine what you could do with four extra hours. I can indeed help you accomplish that, and we're gonna all do it together right now. The first thing I want you to do is take out your phone. If you've already got it out, some of you already see where this is headed. Get out your phone. Once you've got it out, I want you to find the button on the side or the back or the top, the power button, and I want you to turn your phone off. Congratulations, you just had four hours added back to your day. All the stats out there say that we spend, Americans spend on average three to five hours a day on our phones. Three to five hours. Now, to be completely fair, for most people, those are all short sessions. So 30 seconds here, a couple minutes there, five minutes there, but nonetheless, three to five hours per day. Just pause for a second. How many of us are very uncomfortable with our phones off right now? That's kind of the point, right? So a lot of us spend three to five hours a day on our phone. Another stat that I found said that the average young adult will spend around one third of their waking life on their devices. One third of their life. Do you, do you think if you could have a third of your life freed back up, you would be successful in your efforts to rest and spend time with Jesus? In theory, I think we all would, right? Huffington Post cited a study that said that you and I, most Americans, use our phones on average about twice as much as we think we do. So think about how often you think you use your phone and then double that and you're probably approaching the truth. Now, I'll grant you that not everything we do on our phones on a day-to-day -day basis is harmful or wasteful, not at all. We, we get directions to places on our phones. We read articles about things going on in our world on our phones. We, we keep up with family and friends. We FaceTime them, we call them, we text them. Some of us even work largely from our devices on a regular basis. So, so all of that stuff is good and helpful. I'm, I'm not trying to hate on that, I'm not trying to eliminate that. So let's just say on average that we spend half of the time on our phones doing good, helpful, productive things. We don't spend half on good, productive things, but let's just say we do to make us all feel better, okay? Let's say that half of it is necessary, good, helpful things. That's still anywhere from an hour and a half 
to two and a half hours that we spend on unnecessary stuff. Isn't that still a good bit of time that we would like to have back into our day? And more importantly, I think it's worth asking the question with all of this, what impact is all of this having? What impact is our phones having on how much time we think we have to spend time with Jesus? What impact is it having on how much time we think we have for rest? I think as followers of Jesus in today's modern world, we have to be willing to ask that question. We have to be willing to ask that question. And Hebrews 12, I think, tells us why we have to ask that question as followers of Jesus. So take a look with me. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now stop right there for just a second. For context, the author of Hebrews just spent most of the previous chapter, Hebrews 11, working from the beginning of the Old Testament until the end of the Old Testament, highlighting all the incredible faith of men and women throughout biblical history. Theologians call that passage the Hall of Faith. I would highly recommend at some point this week, when you have a few spare moments in between times looking at your phone, I would recommend going back and reading through Hebrews 11. Absolutely incredible passage. So it talks a little bit about all these people and their stories, but after doing all of that here in Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews transitions and says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all of those people that came before us, continuing in verse one of our passage, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So let's pause right there for a second. So what the author is attempting to do is help us see how we join in with these men and women of faith from throughout the years. How, how we too can access the type of transformative faith that they modeled. And it says, here is where it starts by, quote, throwing off first everything that hinders and second, the sin that so easily entangles. Now, that second idea, sin that entangles, we talk about sin a good bit around here at City Church. Part of what following Jesus means is it means becoming aware of and owning up to and repenting of sin in our lives. Things like anger, self-righteousness, apathy, lust, greed, materialism, all of these different things. Any and all of the things that the scriptures say are the antithesis of life in the kingdom of Jesus. We are, as followers of Jesus, to throw off those things, to rid ourselves of them, repent of them. But what I want us to spend the, the bulk of our time today talking about is actually the first part of those instructions, not the throwing off sin that so easily entangles. We talk about that a lot. I want us to talk about how we are not only to throw off sin, but also in the language of the author of Hebrews, anything that hinders, anything that hinders. So, so not just the bad things in our life, but also the good and neutral things that can get in the way. 
on a regular basis. The ESV version of the Bible languages this as laying aside any weight. That's the language that it uses there. So the metaphor that is being used is of a a runner in a race who wants to be as fast as they possibly can. And so they remove and set aside anything that could possibly hinder them in that race. So if you follow the Olympics much, you may know that runners and swimmers in the Olympics, they still take this approach where they will even like shave off all of the hair on their legs just so they can cut off like a fraction of a second on their best time. I like to remind people often that the only thing keeping me from running a six minute mile is that I will not shave my legs. That's the only thing, there's nothing else that's holding me back. But this is what people do, right? Because the point is I need to be as fast as I possibly can, so I need to eliminate anything that could possibly slow me down, anything that could possibly hinder me along the way. That's the point the author of Hebrews is making. the point would, would be that the author is saying that there may be things in our lives as followers of Jesus that, that are not inherently sinful. They're not explicit, explicitly sinful things, and yet they still need to be cast off or at least examined and discerned if we are going to learn to set our eyes, fix our eyes on Jesus. Neutral things in our life, so to speak, but neutral things that have a tendency to pull our attention away from Jesus and onto lesser things. And these verses just said that we may also need to do something about those things, even if they're not considered sinful. Does that make sense so far, what he's saying in this passage? Okay, with that established, I think we can make a very strong case that in the year 2021, our phones are one of those things that hinder. Whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not, this device right here is probably one of the biggest obstacles to your relationship with Jesus. And even more specifically to our series that we've been in, it may be one of the biggest obstacles in your life to integrating rest regularly into your life. Many of us remain convinced that we do not have the time or the ability to rest or to spend time with Jesus on a regular basis while simultaneously spending anywhere from three to five hours a day on our phones. It seems like there's probably a correlation between those two issues. So today, all my cards on the table for our time together, I'm going to try to get each of us to at least think critically or or more critically about the impact that our phones are having on our ability to rest and set our focus on Jesus. Which maybe sounds like an oddly specific thing to do an entire teaching on, I get that but I believe it is well worth our time based on how widespread of an issue it is. So the latest study I could find said that in the US, 84% of men and 79% of women are smartphone users. That is by far the vast majority of people out there. When you shrink that segment down to just young adults, which tend to make up a good bit of our church most of the time, those percentages go up even more, meaning that virtually all of us at this point own smartphones or smart devices. And as we already mentioned, most of us spend three to five hours per day on our phones. Now, here's what's so ironic 
about that, I think. Everyone thought that the invention of things like the smartphone would actually free up time in our schedule. We thought that these devices would save us time. I mean, think about it. A lot of us, like we, we have a personal assistant on our phone that does things for us. I mean, everybody thought this would free up so much time in our schedules. There's a, a, a famous Senate subcommittee, I think from back in the 70s, where uh, somebody went on record, a, a social scientist, I believe, went on record saying that the more technology increased, that the primary problem 30, 40, 50 years in the future would be that all of us would have far too much leisure on our hands. That we just have so much time and not know what to do with all of it. Does anybody in, that room, in this room feel that way about their life now that we have all this technology? Yeah, it didn't exactly play out that way. So all of these things in our life, all these smart devices are often referred to as time-saving or labor-saving devices. So all of that said, here's the question. How did something that was supposed to give us more time end up single-handedly consuming more of our time than anything else? Well, I would argue it's because of a little something called digital addiction. Like some of you, I watched the documentary titled The Social Dilemma that came out on Netflix, I think six months ago or something like that. If you haven't heard of it, it's basically a documentary about the effect that our phones and social media are having on us at a psychological and sociological level. It would probably be well worth your time to watch it at some point. It is equal parts enlightening and terrifying to watch. Just, just a fair warning about it. But to me, one of the biggest takeaways from that documentary was this. For most of us, the apps that we use most regularly are free, right? So Facebook is free, Twitter is free, Instagram is free, Pinterest is free. And one of the people in this documentary makes the point that from a marketing perspective, from a business perspective, when a product that you use is free, that means that you aren't actually the customer. You're the product. Specifically, your time and your attention are the product. That is what is being bought and sold on these apps. The longer a particular app can hold your attention, the more ads they can sell and the more investors they can impress, which means the more money they can make. Now, I bring that up because a lot of people, when it comes to these conversations about technology and how we should relate to technology, a lot of people will shrug off the dangers of our smartphones by saying things like, well, technology is just a tool. It's just a tool, it's neutral. It, it can be good or it can be bad. Uh, technology is kind of like a hammer. So you can use a hammer for really good things like building a house or you can use a hammer for really bad things like bludgeoning somebody over the head with it. The, the tool itself is neutral, it just all depends on what you do with it as to whether it's good or bad. We like to think that our phones are sort of like that. They can be good or bad, but in and of themselves, they're neutral. Now, while that sounds correct, there is one major difference between a hammer and a smartphone. Do you know what it is? The difference is that there are not thousands of engineers spending their everyday job trying to get you to use a hammer every moment of your waking life. There aren't engineers out there trying to do it. Engineers that build hammers, they just want to make a good hammer that works and doesn't fall apart, right? 
When it comes to our phones, it's actually very different. There are people on the other side of our screens trying to consume as much of our time, as much of our attention as possible. It's part of their job. For example, I still remember a few years back when Apple came out with the night shift feature. Do you guys have this? You guys know what this is? So basically, they came out with a feature that after a certain time at night, it automatically takes some of the blue light out of your phone, which blue light is known to cause sleeping issues, vision issues, stuff like that. And so Apple released this feature where it automatically, after a certain time at night, takes all the blue light out of your phone. And I I remember hearing about them coming out with this feature, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, what a selfless thing for Apple to do. Like, they're just really looking out for the good of their customers, you know? Like, I just can't believe that one of the most successful, one of the most powerful companies in the world is just being so selfless in how they approach their product design. And then the more I thought about it, I realized, wait a second, what happens if a company takes away some of the negative effects of using your phone late into the night? What do you do? you use it even longer, right? So listen, I I think Apple's a great company. I think they do some great stuff. But I think we've got to realize the people that design our phones and the apps that we use on our phones, they're, they're not looking out for our physical and spiritual and mental health. Like that's not their number one priority at all. You could argue that some of the time they're working in the opposite direction of all of that. But don't take my word for all of this. Here's what the former president of Facebook, Sean Parker, once said. If you watch the movie, The Social Network, this is Justin Timberlake in the movie. I just feel like I shouldn't mention that. If you watch the movie, that's who it is in the movie. So Sean Parker, former president of Facebook before Zuckerberg, he now calls himself a conscientious objector to social media after working with it for a number of years. Here's what he said in an interview. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content and that's going to get you more likes and more comments. It's a social validation feedback loop exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Think about that. Every time you open up your favorite app, there are hundreds of engineers on the other side of that app asking how can we capture, how can we steal as much of this person's time and attention as we possibly can? And it is having a profound effect on our ability as human beings to pay attention. Studies are now showing that the average human attention span is dropping with each passing year, and it drops faster once we get into the digital revolution. So in the year 2000, before the digital revolution really took place, we had an average attention span as human beings of 12 seconds. Not exactly something to be proud of, but it's something, right? 12 seconds was how long we could pay attention to one thing. Does anybody want to guess what the average attention span is now in 2020? Eight seconds. 
For comparison, goldfish have an attention span of nine seconds. <laughs> We're losing to goldfish. Now, all of that said, I, I say all of that just so we can ground ourselves in reality and not be deceived about what's happening behind the scenes with all of these apps, with all of these devices. But that said, let me be very upfront, let me be very clear about what I am and am not doing here this morning. First, I am not suggesting that we all need to go out today and just get rid of our smartphones, right? Get an old school like Razor flip phone or something. Like that's, that's not what I'm trying to get us to do. I, I have a smartphone. I like having a smartphone. I plan on keeping my smartphone. I think it's really helpful. I am also not saying that all of us as followers of Jesus should just like start tech-free communes and live off the land, okay? That's not what I'm trying to shoot for here at all either. I, I personally do not think that Christians should be the first ones running for the hills every time there's an advancement in modern technology. I, I don't think that's our role. I don't think that's the best response. But here's what I am trying to do. I am trying to get all of us to think very critically about the effect that our phones are having on our relationship with Jesus. I am arguing for the desperate need in our generation, in our time, for something that we might call digital discernment. Digital discernment. The ability to critically evaluate the impact of technology on our lives and on our discipleship to Jesus. Because I believe with everything in me that if we are not at least thinking critically about the effect that our phones are having on our discipleship to Jesus, chances are our phones are wreaking havoc on it. That's my belief. That's my thesis for today. But here's the thing. In order to do anything about this, in order to break free from the, the digital addiction of our phones and apps and devices, if, if we're going to be able to do anything about that, we have to first get to the bottom of why we are so drawn to the world of our phones. Why are we so fixated on what is happening on our devices, on our apps, 24 Seven. What is it that makes us want to escape every spare moment we get into this digital distraction? Well, I think it's actually quite a few things. Let me just give you four of what I think are the most common ones. Most common things that drive us to our phones. Sometimes I think it's simply boredom. Boredom. So we feel like on some level, conscious or subconscious, we feel like our life is not exciting in the moment or in general, and it seems like there are always more interesting or exciting things on our phones. So we go there. Other times, I think it's approval. So some of it, I think, is that we are hungry for validation from other people. So we go online and we post attractive photos of ourselves or we post some cleverly worded political or cultural opinion that can get likes and comments. So we just go online, we post something, and then we just wait for the comments and the likes and the shares to roll in in response. I think some of it is that we're hungry for approval. Other times, I think it's simply inactivity. 
So I'm waiting in the drive-through line or in the lobby at the doctor's office or at a stoplight while I'm driving. And, and I think, hey, this is, bo- I could be getting stuff done right now. Why am I just sitting here? I could be accomplishing things. So I, I check an email or I respond to a work text or, or I comb through a Google, Google Doc and leave comments or whatever it might be. And then I think other times it's just discontentment. Discontentment. I think sometimes we're, we're just unhappy with the state of our lives and so we unlock our phones in an attempt to not have to face those difficult emotions for a little while. To pretend they're not there. And like I said, I think there are probably plenty of other reasons where those came from. But the point that I'm making is that to do anything about the digital addiction in our lives, we need to be able to discern what it is that's actually drawing us to our phones in the first place. We have to become aware of those things, and then we have to understand that our phones don't actually solve any of those problems. They don't solve those problems in any real way. At best, being consumed with our phones is just a band-aid over the gaping chasm in our souls. And at worst, it's actually leading us deeper down the rabbit hole of emotional and spiritual bankruptcy. Here's why I say that. This series is all about the art and science of how we change. So much of our spiritual formation as human beings has to do with the things that we give our time and our attention to on a regular basis. Put another way, and I think this is a helpful way to think about it, put another way, we become like what we behold. We become like what we behold. The things that we consistently give our time and attention to end up shaping the type of people that we eventually become. For for good or bad, better or worse, this is just how it works in our day-to-day lives. So I think we can see this principle play out so many different ways. So if you constantly scroll through Instagram profiles of celebrities or lifestyle influencers or, or people that are obsessed with their appearance all of the time, if you spend tons of your free time beholding those people on whatever social media platform it is, eventually you will become hyper-obsessed with your appearance also because you become like what you behold. If you spend hours a day combing through subreddits where people think that college or professional sports is the point of life, that that's what life is all about, that's what to get excited about in life, If you spend hours upon hours doing that, you will eventually become one of those people that think sports is the point of life. If you spend hours a day smoldering over hyper-divisive, polarized political posts on Facebook or Twitter, wherever it is, you will eventually become one of those people posting hyper-polarized content on those platforms. Even if you don't become the the type of person on that particular side of the aisle, you'll become just as angry and just as frustrated and just as obnoxious just on the other side of the aisle against those people. Do you see how that works? We become like what we behold. If we give large portions of our attention to our phone world, that world is going to be the primary thing shaping who we become. 
But, and this is so important for us to realize, it is also true that we become like the good things that we behold. So, namely, this works in how we behold the God of the universe and how we behold Jesus. Look with me on the screen at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This, to me, is one of the most direct passages in the Bible that illustrate this concept that we become what we behold. It says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding, doing what? Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You become like what you behold. Which means if we want to become more like Jesus, we need to figure out how to spend more time beholding, giving our attention, fixing our eyes on Jesus than we do beholding and fixing our eyes on other things. To go back to the language of Hebrews, just to finish out our passage, we need to learn to fix our eyes on the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, to finish out the passage, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the end goal for each and every one of us as followers of Jesus is that we would become like our crucified Savior. The man who, for the joy set before him, endured the most gruesome death possible by the most vile of people and then was resurrected and seated at the right hand of God. We want to become like him. That's our goal. But the way we get there, Hebrews says, is by fixing our eyes, setting our attention steadily on him. We don't get there by making a decision one time and then going about the rest of our lives unchanged. We don't get there by saying a prayer or getting baptized or trying our best to be a good person. That's not how we change to become more like Jesus. We get there by fixing our eyes day after day on the reality of the cross. And as we do, we will become like what we behold. We become like our crucified, risen, reigning Savior. So let me just try to show you practically what that does. When you set your eyes, when you fix your eyes, set your attention on Jesus. Let me just show you how this practically frees you up from the world of your phone or being consumed by it. So I'm just going to work back through those four things that I mentioned earlier, just to kind of get jog our minds on how all of this works. So Jesus is a better solution to our boredom because his mission gives us purpose and meaning to every relationship, every task, every spare moment of our lives. That's what happens when we behold Jesus. Jesus is a better place to find approval because his approval is given freely and does not require us to look a certain way or be clever enough in order to earn it. Jesus is a better answer to our inactivity because he teaches us that our value does not depend on our productivity. We talked about that a lot last week. It's a far better place to find reprieve from our inactivity. And lastly, Jesus is a better place to find contentment because he gives us a way to deal with our life disappointments rather than continually trying to escape from them. It's far better. 
Jesus is a better answer, a better solution to every single thing that we so often run to our phones in order to find. And by beholding Jesus, we become more like him rather than becoming like any number of unhelpful things that we find on our phones. And that's the goal. We want to become like what we behold and we want the thing that we behold to be Jesus himself. So the question becomes, how do we practically tear ourselves away from the world of our phones and get on a trajectory towards beholding Jesus on a more regular basis? How do we, how do we practically break free, pull away from the constant draw of our phone world? That, I think, is where the practice guide comes in for this week. So if today is your first time with us, with this series, what we've actually done is we've published online something called a practice guide. We said in this series, we don't just want to talk about correct things about God. We actually want to learn how to put those things into practice in a tangible way. That's how our habits change us over time. So if you go to our website, citychurchnox.com, you can find a PDF practice guide that accompanies this series. And in that PDF, there are all sorts of different practices that a lot of us are participating in throughout this series to help sort of integrate this into our lives. But there are two of them specifically that pertain to today's teaching on digital discernment and digital distraction. So I'll tell you just a little bit about each one before we're done. First, there's a practice in there that we've called parenting your phone. Parenting your phone. So the way that parenting works, if you're unfamiliar, is that when you have young children, they go to bed before you go to bed as their parent, and they wake up after you wake up. At least ideally, that's how it works, right? And ideally, they go to sleep in a different room of the house than you do. So what this practice does is just basically takes that concept and applies it to your phone. So the idea is that you would set a bedtime and a wake time for your phone and that your phone would sleep in a different room of the house than you sleep. I think for a lot of us, what I know is that constantly, for, for so many of us in the room, the, our phones are the last thing that we interact with at night and they're the first thing that we interact with in the morning, right? That's the tendency. And so what this practice does is it attempts to sort of break that habit a little bit. It attempts to get a little bit of distance in the evening and in the morning from your phone. So uh, maybe the way that it works, if you go to bed generally around 11 p.m., maybe your phone goes to bed around 9 p.m. in a different room of the house. If you wake up at 7 a.m., maybe your phone doesn't wake up until at 8 o'clock in the morning or 8.30 in the morning or maybe until you start to get in your car to go to work or class or whatever it is. So adjust the times to whatever works and is realistic for you. But the point is to find a way to where looking at your phone doesn't bookend your day every single day of the week. Does that make sense? I think that'll help us get some distance between us and the digital distraction of our phone. So there's a few more tips and tricks on that one in the PDF. I'll let you read those there. Um, the second practice that I want to mention before we're done is called making your phone just a phone. Making your phone just a phone. So I'm not sure if any of us can remember this. There was a time when your phone was literally just a way to call people. 
and receive calls from people. I know probably most of us in the room can't even remember that or how awful that was that we couldn't just be distracted by our phones all the time. But at one point, your phone was just literally a way to call people and receive calls. So this practice, the second one, attempts to return at least some of the way towards that utilitarian use of the phone. And the way that you do it is by deleting a majority of the apps off of your phone so that they don't regularly steal your attention on a regular basis. So there are probably a few apps that we can't really delete because we use them too often. We rely on them. So like your Maps app, some of us may need that every single day to know how to get to where we're going to or for work or whatever it is. Maybe for some of us, maybe it's the text message app. Obviously, a lot of people text nowadays. You may need to keep that one on your phone. Maybe it's your calendar app. If you're like me, I can't remember what I have scheduled on a particular day, so I pretty much rely on my calendar app to keep everything straight in my day-to-day itinerary. So maybe there's some apps on your phone that you may need to keep, and that's totally fine. You don't have to cut every single one of them except for the phone app out. But the goal is to look at the other apps, the apps that really we just use to waste time. Really, we just pull them up when we're bored or or, or when we feel like we're not being productive or whatever it is. And, And to take 21 days to sort of detox from those apps to take those off of our phones so that we're not constantly tempted to pull those apps up and waste time on it. Now, I think if we do this, those of us that are brave enough to do this with our phones, I think you will be shocked at how much time in the day it frees up. Again, I'm not promising you will like how much free time you have as a result, but I'm saying you will be shocked at how much spare time it gives you in a particular day. We look at our phones a lot when we don't have to. One thing I love about this particular practice is that it also has a bonus challenge. For some of you that are really competitive in the room, your ears just perked up. For everybody else, you're like already checked out and you're just done with this one. But it has a bonus challenge in it. So for, for some of us, maybe what you could do is after the 21 days of sort of getting those distracting apps off of your phone, maybe you just slowly add apps back. Like don't just automatically go to iCloud and re-download all of them after 21 days. That might defeat the purpose. But instead, just add them back slowly. One tip that we have in there is only add an app back to your phone after those 21 days if there are three legitimate needs for it in a typical week. And if you don't have that, honestly, you can probably just pull up the mobile website that corresponds to that app. Most of them are very usable, very doable. But if you don't have the app on the phone, you won't be inclined to constantly check it, to constantly refresh it, to constantly look at it every time you have a few free seconds. But the goal with all of these things is simply to put this stuff into practice. As we've said throughout this series, as we mentioned the first week specifically, the the last thing that we want is to get to the end of this series here in a few weeks and, and for all of us to be like, that was a cool series we did one time on rest. I don't feel any more restful, but that was a cool series that we did one time. Maybe I'll reference it in the future when I have some spare time. That doesn't do any of us any good. What we want to see happen as a result of this series is that we would put things into practice in our life that actually lead to rest. And as we said in week one, I know it feels like an oxymoron, but rest sometimes takes work. 
It it takes structuring our day-to-day lives after the rhythms of Jesus. It takes cutting some things out in our life that constantly steal time and attention from us. If we want to enjoy the life of Jesus, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. If we want to experience the abundant life of Jesus, we have to be willing to take on the lifestyle of Jesus. We have to be willing to structure our lives after his. We cannot keep our lives exactly the same as they are and expect different results. That's not how discipleship to Jesus works. And so the goal with all of these, all of these practices, even if they feel like work, even if they're difficult, even if they feel like they pull us in a different direction than we instinctively want to go, the goal is that by putting these things into practice, we would become, in Jesus' words, like the man who built his house on the rock. And when the floods came, when the torrent came and beat against that house, the house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. All of these practices are just opportunities for us to build our house on the rock that lasts. That's what we're going for. And through that, that we would become transformed to be more and more like the Savior that we behold. That's our goal. Let me pray for us. Jesus, um, we thank you for um, being worthy of our time and our attention and our focus. God, there is nothing in the world more worthy of our attention than you. But God, we confess that so often um, it's just easier to set our focus on lesser things. Things that um, ultimately are of very little consequence. Um, Things that don't lead to life, but rather lead to preoccupation and distraction and the lack of focus. God, for so many of us, our our phones, our devices are one of those things. God, we don't realize how much time on a regular basis is being stolen from us by um, just a few seconds here, a few minutes there. So God, I I pray that today would uh, maybe for some of us uh, be a wake-up call. Maybe for others of us, it's just a reminder. It's something we've noticed for a while. It's something we've wanted to work on for a while and just haven't known how to go about it or haven't been successful in it. So God, I pray that um, today would be a starting point for a lot of us. That we'd be willing to uh, do the difficult work of Yeah, putting our device in another room or deleting some of the time-wasting apps off of it. Um, God, so that we can spend that time beholding and enjoying and setting our eyes and attention on the things that matter. God, there's so much for us there. There's so much rest. There's so much peace. There's so much joy. There's life to the full. 
But God, we, we'll never find it if, we, if we're just consumed with lesser things. And so our prayer is that of Hebrews 12. Would you help us to fix our eyes on the founder and perfecter of our faith? Would you help us to cast off the sin that so easily entangles and anything that is a weight, anything that hinders, anything that distracts, anything that pulls our focus away? God, would you help us by your spirit to put those things in their place, to, to evaluate those things, to put them in their place so that we can set our attention and focus on you. So God, would you help us? Would you, um, would you enable us to be, to be willing to take those necessary steps of change and putting habits into practice? And would you just breathe on them and through them, would you fix our eyes on you? We ask this in your name. Amen.